This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. This week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Visit audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500 500. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicky, and on each episode of this show, we look at one of the classics. And rejoining me to look at such a classic, it's Cass Page and Matt Stewart. Hey, hey Bookchook, how's it going? Cluck, oh, cluck, Bookchook cluck, cluck, in cluck. the house, clucking. It's clucking great to see both of you, can I just say. <laughs> Oh, so let me whip out my too. beak and turn myself a page. I am happy to see your faces. If you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh-uh. <laughs> whip out my beak. <laughs> oh, well, let's see where this goes. Yeah, whip out my beak, put my, put my talons away, tuck in the wings. Uh, <laughs> I want to be kind, so I'm only showing one of my two weapons as a chook book. Chook comma book. <laughs> Just the beak, I feel like it's the daintiest of all my sharp bits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also around a lot of soft bits, the parts of a chicken that flap a lot, that aren't the wings, of course. They can be quite frightening. I think um, they're called the giblets. Oh, That's not true. Giblets, are so- they're somewhere. They're somewhere there. They're somewhere. I think they're inside, maybe. Chicken oh, giblets. Oh, that's a snack. Yeah, someone, someone could eat them. Unless they're outside and then they become on your insides. Yeah. Well, they feel like they should be called giblets or something like that. Flibbity giblets? Something. Flibbity giblets. Flibbity giblets. Okay, let's mm. make it canon. Every book chook has a flibbity gibbet. Yeah. I know. I, I certainly do. I certainly yeah. do. There's no denying my flibbity giblet, dibbly dip, bip bip. All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming back on our book cheat. We are going to uh, return to Things Fall Apart in just a moment. But before we finish off the story for that, give me some stories from your life. How have you been going the last couple of weeks? Matt, have you been reading anything? I've been going well. I've been reading. I've still been listening or reading with my ears. Ooh. Um, oh. You've got two of these and two of these. Let's use them in that ratio. Right. That's a, that's a, a, a modern take on an old classic. Uh, but I've been listening to a book called Stranger in the Woods, and it's about uh, a mysterious uh, event that kicked off in the 80s in this rural area of Maine in the US. Uh, things were going missing, but um, so there was a thief, a mysterious thief who wasn't caught for a long, long time. 
Um, and I've been reading that because, Dave, you know this story already because a couple of days ago we recorded an episode of our other podcast, Do Go On, about this story, and yep. that comes out tomorrow. And it is an absolutely amazing story, can I just say. It's a banger. So good. I uh, would highly recommend that book, Stranger Ooh. in the Woods by Michael Finkel. 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 Mickey the Fink is what we called him on Mickey the show. Mickey the Fink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, man. that's an absolutely fascinating story. So, yeah. Give our podcast Do Go On a Crack tomorrow when it comes out because it is an amazing story told by you. And then you can listen to the audiobook, Mickey the Fink. It's good stuff. Yeah. Michael Finkel. Highly recommended. Great book. And the the guy who, he doesn't narrate it, he more performs it. You know oh, I mean? that's oh, good. Wow. He does that's... voices and, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's i don't, I got to look him up. I want to see more of his work because he has got skills. Theatre of the mind, big time. Oh yeah. I like that you've you've given everyone a whole day's worth of things to do and to be <laughs> bewildered by, and then everyone will go down your path and then look up, look him up a little bit more. Yeah, that's a lifetime you've given people. Yeah, you've just yeah. taught well, a man to fish. Exactly. <laughs> I've taught a man to think. <laughs> Give a man a think. He'll think for a bit. <laughs> Teach a man to think. He'll step out of Plato's cave. Yeah, he'll start thinking for himself. Is it true, Matt, that you you listen to such terrifying material of a mysterious man in the woods for 30 years whilst falling asleep at night? Yeah, yeah. You are crazy. I'd set the hour alarm, like on, on the Audible app. You can set it so it turns off after 60 minutes. And yeah, there was a few times I was so engrossed in it that I got to that 60 minutes and it just fades out. (laughs) <laughs> and if it happens at the right moment, it sort of adds to the creepiness. If it's mid, like, um, break-in or something uh, and the story just fades out and all my senses heightened as it fades <gasps> down. <laughs> is that it, is uh, terrifying. Is it like the narrator has been kidnapped whilst reading your book? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, where'd he go? Come in. back. <laughs> it, would, it would feel like when you're alone in a room with someone and they're sort of talking and you're both comfortable and then they sort of just... And then you look over and they're staring at something and you're like, <gasps> "Yeah, what's going on? What have you seen first? <laughs> I can't remember the name of the band now, which band it was, but there was a pop punk band in high school that had an album where it had a secret track where the music would fade out and it'd be silence for about 20 minutes. And then it would just hear someone saying, I'm in your house. I'm in your house. <laughs> and it would just be oh, really, t- no. if you had it on speakers or on headphones, you- it'd be terrifying if, you- if it came on at night. Obviously, they were trying to prank people, but. It was really scary. Those pop punk boys. Yeah. That's, absolute pranksters. That's not very pop, but it is very punk. Yes, very true. <laughs> very true. All right, so that's uh, Matt's audio adventures. Uh, how about you, Cass? Have you been reading or doing anything? You've been moving house the last couple of days, I believe. So maybe you haven't had much time to read. Oh, oh. My reading has taken me to every page within the instruction manuals for every amount of furniture you could desire. I am well versed in pictographs. <laughs> now, I've, I've been putting together heaps of furniture. I love putting together furniture. Um, I have uh, My housemate's been kind enough to let me put together furniture that is hers and not mine because I really love doing it. It makes oh my me goodness. so happy. Next time I move house, would you like to... I'll be kind enough Please. to invite you over to my Genuinely, house. Genuinely, yes. I am so untalented. The last time I tried something, I had something that was supposed to be like a, a bathroom, like a bathroom cart. 
it was structurally unsound for three years, that thing, because I couldn't <laughs> get it going. I'm with you, Cass. I love doing... I've, they just feel like big jigsaw puzzles or something. Exactly, exactly. And if you if you get them wrong, they're usually easy to fix. Um, but, <laughs> oh, I but could then, rub like, it in. <laughs> oh, no, I just... I, I put together a lot of the... We have storage in this house, which I didn't have at my last house, so oh, absolutely in love with it. But the storage goes up to the roof, which is an optimal use of space. But unfortunately, um, God did not give me optimal use of leg. So I had to assemble a little step ladder for myself um, <laughs> and I, I made it backwards. So I actually ended up uh, sinking into the ground for a while, but thankfully <laughs> I was able to disassemble it, reassemble it. And now I can reach the cupboard. Somehow you, you made it so that it went lower than the floor. Yeah. Yeah, That's you know wild. that little guy in the IKEA thing yeah. being like, Whoa! his little pointy face and zigzag arms. So it led me astray. The, the fact that you had extra storage meant that you needed to get an extra thing to store. Oh my god, is this the cycle of capitalism? <laughs> yeah, this is it. It's wow. the um, what is it? The military complex. This is the um, the IKEA uh, storage complex. We do have a very cute nook in which the stepladder slides into quite nicely, which is good because I always need to use it. I think it's it's actually behind me. I have had to use it it's a lot today. It's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> we just hear Cass slowly fade out and we're terrified. <laughs> My voice slowly gets like further and further away, but also lower and lower into the ground. <laughs> oh my God, it's inverted again. <laughs> But yeah, no books. <laughs> no, well, that's okay. You've come back for more, and I appreciate it for part two of Things Fall Apart. Do you? Rem- I'm going to give a brief summary in a second, basically, basically a previously on. And if anyone hasn't heard part one, I would implore them to go back and listen to part one. But I'm going to give a summary just in case for you and for me and for anyone who might not have heard the first one. Because I think maybe it was our last one. We did um, A Tale of Two Cities, part one and two, all three of us. And part yeah. two yeah, that's right. seems to have gotten more downloads than part one. So I think it's people that are so oh, interested no. in cheating it that they're hoping that they can just hear the second half <laughs> and still get away with just knowing that. <laughs> Which I like. It's like cheating on a cheat. It's great. That's amazing. Oh, just being like, I can probably wing it with the characters. Tell me about the conflict. Yeah, that's right. I don't need what to a, know the details. That is funny as well because there's nothing else that would change them picking the second over the first. Same guests. Same book, same host. (laughs) I don't know. So if you are those people, uh, welcome to the second half (laughs) of Things Fall Apart. Um, Yeah, do you guys remember much? Because it has also been a couple of weeks since we recorded the last one. So we didn't do them back to back Mm. or anything. I don't think I can remember any characters' names, but I do remember the main protagonist was, you know, he had a pretty tough life where he's uh, caught up in his head a bit. He thinks you've got to be tough real men are tough sort of thing and uh because his dad was a bit soft and he found that embarrassing so he he overcorrected yes, and that's, um that's he's true. been a pretty brutal father and uh he's also a real social climber from memory and he wanted to make it to the top uh of top of the town but he made a few mistakes or oh, he had to kill his foster child they oh, yeah basically that another town came and took took them down or something, or killed someone at a market, I think. That's true. And their punishment for the other town was that they had to donate one of their boys. <laughs> Give us one of and your boys. And he got that boy 
grew it up, uh, brought it up basically as his own. And then um, the Oracle from out of town told him he had to kill it, it being his sort of son. <laughs> and then he did it. And he's like, he felt a bit bad about it. And he's like, no, oh, no, this is, I'm not meant to, I'm a man. I shouldn't feel bad about killing my son. <laughs> and then later after that, he's he accidentally broke, killed some other kid because his gun just went off. And his punishment was getting kicked well, out of town. It? At a funeral. Death at it a funeral. It was at a funeral. Yes, it was. Oh, is that what that's funeral. based on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, really yeah, made... so I remember like that, that, that main stuff, but I, I can't remember the character names and a lot of, like anything else. But I just sort of remember those main beats. They, oh, and that was all in one third of the book. Yes, that was part uh, part one of three. Part but we're one, gonna... which was fifty percent of the yes, page. that's right. We're going to cover parts two and three of of the book this week. And the main character, cast does this ring a bell for you? Okonkwo was his name. Okonkwo. Oh, that's oh, right. Ring a ding ding. Yes. There it is. There it is. Well, so I'm going to give you. Sorry, a... Dave. Did yeah? Can you give me an actual <laughs> summary rather than a? And then I think. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I like then it. Then the guy sort you of have went. To prov- um, <laughs> Providing a summary to Matt's wintery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have I made that joke before? <laughs> no, I don't think I, so. I've not, never heard it. Not in this room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a uh, a previously on things fall apart, which is my favourite bit of doing a part two of anything. Remembering so, part one fondly. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's just me saying previously on. I love it. Like previously on Dawson's Creek. For example, <laughs> first show that came to my mind. Yep, <laughs> we're That's living lovely. in the golden age of television, and I haven't watched anything in 22 <laughs> years. <laughs> okay, Things Fall Apart is a novel written by Nigerian author Chinua Achebe. I think I said Achebe a lot last time. Probably shouldn't have googled the pronunciation after we recorded part one, but it's Achebe, and I apologise. Another great anyone. name. Uh, it was first published in 1958. is often listed as the most widely read book in modern African literature. So a lot of schools study this book, and it's very, very well read. Set at the end of the 19th century in Nigeria, specifically in a collection of nine Igbo villages. In the first half, we met our main character, Okonkwo, a feared warrior in the village, whose biggest motivation in life was his father's perceived laziness and lack of achievement. This spurred on Okonkwo to achieve a lot, instilling a great work ethic, and he is an accomplished and now wealthy farmer. But it also caused him to be harsh and to regard emotion as weakness. He treats his family of three wives and ten children very harshly, hoping that tough love will also make them into great members of the village. He's particularly harsh to his oldest boy, Nwoye, whom he beats and regards as a bit of a wuss. Okonko also adopted an eleventh child, which Matt mentioned, named Ikeme Funa, in the first half of the book, but tragically it was ruled due to spiritual beliefs that the boy had to be sacrificed, and not wanting to lose face in front of the other men, Okonkwo, despite being told he shouldn't, participated in the killing. This was one of two major events in the first half of the novel. The first half really showed us Okonkwo and his family dynamic, how the village worked, that kind of thing, but the other main event was right at the end of the first half, where a funeral celebration was held for a respected member of the community. Part of the celebration included shooting guns into the air, Tragically, Okonkwo's gun went off accidentally and killed a teenage boy. It's a very serious crime against the earth goddess in the village to kill a fellow member of the village, and even though it was an accident, Okonkwo and his family is sent into exile for seven years. 
He moved to a village where his mother was born, a place called Mbanta, which is a quite a quite a journey away. So he left the village and is worried about losing his standing in the community during his exile. The other thing mentioned towards the end of the first half is mysterious people with white skin are reported to have been spotted by some of the villagers. We hear a bit of uh, chit-chat amongst some of the members about that. And that mm. is where we left off. The cliffhanger was this great man has been sent away for seven years. He was on a trajectory to one day be probably the most powerful man in his village, but now has he has he given it all up because he accidentally killed that boy? I forgot that his whole family got uh, booted. So that's... You're saying 10, 11 people, is it? Uh, yeah, well, it's now. him, 10 kids, and uh, three wives all left together. <gasps> I forgot yeah, wow. his wives too. It's quite a crew. It's, not, it's, it's a funny sort of punishment because he's like, oh, I'm going to miss everyone. Luckily, they're all coming with me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty easy to settle into the next town when you've got a whole village coming with you. That's right. And Look, he's if also... isolation's taught us anything, even living with people, you still will miss your friends. <laughs> okay, that's not a bad point. Not a bad point. Not saying it's a good point. <laughs> You're like, it'd be fine. We're like, Matt, we all know it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he can go outside, actually. He's fine. <laughs> well, so the whole family are exiled to Mbanta, his mother's old village. She's no longer alive, but that's where she came from originally. He's received, this is a conquo, warmly by his uncle, uncle but he's deeply unhappy. He feels very sorry for himself in this second half of the book. Does he does he allow himself to feel those feelings or does he feel bad for feeling feelings? I think it actually is a bit of a cycle about that. He feels bad for himself and then, again, sees it as weakness and it basically it's a bit of a tragic spiral at the start. But he yeah. still works hard on the farm that's given to him. But his spirits are certainly dampened by the fact that he's worked his whole life to become a lord of his clan, but with the accidental killing, he knows that dream will probably now never happen. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, accidental killing. You know, the so many full-on things he did on purpose, unpunished. <laughs> yeah. Accidentally kill one child. <laughs> I mean, come and on. And you get banished. And you get cancelled. And given a farm. <laughs> Actually, you know... If I could just do one crime and be given a farm, I'd probably commit it. Yeah, that crime is steal a farm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't really want to kill a kid for it, if that's no. possible. <laughs> just steal a farm. Steal a farm. Do you think that's possible? Can you pull off, pull off a, a swindle like that? I reckon you can. I reckon you okay. could. I believe in you. Cass, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Matt will return. <laughs> oh, yeah. I might... Just uh, be out for a bit. Just got to head to the country. I'll come right. back with a farm. Yeah, build a fence around someone else's farm. What are they going to do? So uh, that was always there. Exactly. Always, I've always had a, a mini farm in the middle of your farm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's right in the middle, like next to the house. <laughs> well, Okonkwo, he's feeling very sorry for himself. Basically, he sees himself as a guy that's built himself at, at up out of poverty to create this great life and now it's all for nothing. His uncle, the one that's taken him in, is a man named Uchendu. He's a lord and elder of his own clan and gives Okonkwo a bit of a pep talk, basically telling him it could be worse and that he shouldn't be so down on himself. Uchendu explains that five out of his six wives and 22 of his children have died and yet he hasn't hanged himself. He is still alive. He's still going on with his life. That's a pep talk, isn't it? Yeah. Just listing listing death. It's very tragic, but I suppose that he's trying to give him a bit of perspective there. 
Yeah, jeez. 22 of his own kids. Awful, isn't it? Really bad. How many survived? Fe- <laughs> 70. 79. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. That's quite a few. Wow. That's so many, I can't even imagine how big that number is. I've never even heard of it. <laughs> I thought I'd heard all the numbers, but I haven't. No. God, imagine hearing a new one. Oh. I mean, statistically, there are numbers we will never hear in our life. That's yeah. wild. That's insane. <laughs> there are there are just there are whole numbers that all three of us will never hear. We probably have a lot in common of numbers we will never hear or see. Yeah, trillions of them. Trillion is what's after trillion? Is gajillion real? <laughs> I don't think so. Is it? <laughs> Zillion? There must quadrillion. <laughs> oh God, do numbers end? That's insane because they can't because everything goes on forever. But where yeah, do our numbers end. end? And do other languages have further numbers? Mm. Where does the English language stop counting? We have never. to stop somewhere. Never stops. Never. No, there, there's someone there at the some end. Of, there <laughs> there's someone a, is. There's no is end. There, what, is we, there we writing have to there always? It. We are finite creatures. We've stopped oh. somewhere and we've not allowed it to go on even though it goes on. Oh, all right. This is too early in the episode for my brain to hurt, Cass. That is absolutely we'll, mind-blowing. We'll stop talking about numbers. They're upsetting. Well, let Kill me... Kill all numbers. Let me stop, the up, uh, stop you being upset by giving you my next sentence. Then some bad news hits the town. Oh, thank God. Oh, what? <laughs> what was it before then? Uh, what, well, what, how would you classify any of the news in this story? <laughs> Well, this is bad news. A neighbouring village called Abame has been destroyed. Conquo's new, new town, which is called Embana, are told that white men arrived in Abame. Before this, there had only been rumours of white men enslaving locals, but it was mostly just rumour. Some of them weren't even convinced that they, these people actually existed type thing. But now, they're being told that Abame was destroyed by these white men. Okonkwo was told that white people arrived on an iron horse, which is, it's, it says this many, many times, and you later work out that they're referring to a bike, a bicycle. Oh. Okay. So they rode Like in... a pedal, a bike you pedal on. Pardon? No, just, it was just like a bicycle, like... but to these um, uh, Igbo people's eyes, they've never seen one before, so they refer to it as, oh, that must be some sort of iron horse. Yeah, right, but that's how they're... Um, taking over the town. They're riding into town. Oh, no, they rode into town. Well, the villagers were told by the oracle that the white men would bring a more like him to the town and destroy the village. So the Abame locals, they decided to kill the man on the bike. Then everything went back Makes to normal sense. and it was fine for a while. But then after that, more time passed and some white men came and found the abandoned bicycle and guessed that their friend who'd never returned to camp had been killed. So as an act of revenge, they shot nearly everyone in the whole town. Oh. So that is the bad news. I had to kill the steel horse as well. On the steel horse I ride. I'm wanted. 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 (laughs) My favourite bit is that backup of wanted. (laughs) Wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Uh, Okonkwo, the great warrior, is shocked by the story, but also the town was foolish not to arm themselves with their machetes and guns. He's like, why didn't they uh, constantly walk around with weapons after this happened to them? Because, you know, his, his answer to everything is fight. That's always his answer. Right. Yes. That's yes, his response. Is. He's a warrior. 
They've been training his whole Whereas life. Whereas you're more of a warrior, Dave. <laughs> very Wa- true. Warrior. You got him. <laughs> and very true. I, I almost got you, only I said warrior again. <laughs> <laughs> but you said it slowly, so you tricked us all. <laughs> I can imagine Dave riding around on a steel horse. I do. I, I do. Clippity clopping around. <laughs> oh, little little bike, but instead of wheels, it's just circle of hoof. Yeah, <laughs> just one big hoof. Round. The circle of hoof. <laughs> da, 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 da. Trying to track someone and being like, ah, we see there's a horse who is gone in a line, a perfectly straight line. <laughs> Yeah, John Bon Jovi's been in town for sure. <laughs> well, three years go past and we learn that the white people and their band of Jovi men have turned out to be Christian missionaries on a mission to build churches and convert the Igbo people. The Christian missionaries just mowed down a town. Yes, they did. Oh, oh. yeah. Do one to others. <laughs> Mow oh. down others as... You want them to mow you down. Classic Christian stuff. I think they would have looked for the eye for an eye section and been like, check this bit out. All right. <laughs> We're going Old Testament on you guys. <laughs> Bringing out the book. Dad said it's fine. <laughs> in the oh, in the three years no. since they've started actually converting some of the local people, mostly outcasts of the society, but also someone very close to Okonkwo, his son, Nwoye, has been seen hanging out with the missionaries. Nwoye is the one that he has been very harsh on, yes? He's been very, very harsh on over the years. Ah. Does sound very susceptible to being found. Yes. If you if you are really searching for a father figure in your life. <laughs> wow. Got, have what? we got a few for you? <laughs> oh, 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 this isn't good. Yeah, that, I mean, that totally, you're saying outcasts, but yeah. he sort of sounds like he's basically an outcast in his own family. Own family, that's right. And Okonkwo doesn't want to talk to his friends about, about it. People say, hey, we've heard your son's been hanging out with the missionaries, and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. But we learn what's happened in the previous years from other people describing what they think's happened to Nwoye. Six missionaries came to their town of Mbanta, the head of which was a white man who spoke to them through an interpreter. The interpreter speaks a different dialect of the local language and people laugh at him because of, instead of saying myself, he keeps saying my buttocks. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Which is very, very funny. Very That's funny. comedy. That's comedy. You can't write it. <laughs> Despite this, the translator tells them about God and Jesus and that the Igbo people worship false gods. Most of the town laugh at him and Okonkwo, when he hears this, thinks that the preacher is insane. But the words of the preacher really strike a chord with young Nwoye, who is still rocked by the pointless death of Ike Fuma, the adopted son murdered by Okonkwo and the others. So the Christianity really starts to appeal to him. He starts questioning his own society and being like, well, maybe this sounds a little bit nicer than, than what I'm receiving from my own father at this point in time. Yeah, I don't have to kill anyone in my family. Huh. Oh, I've, I've never heard of that as an option, but okay. Okonkwo confronts Nwoye about spending time with the missionaries and even begins to choke him, so he sort of really lashes out at him. Nwoye is rescued and then leaves his father forever. So Okonkwo disowns him and cannot believe that he has such a, quote, effeminate son. 
I'm sure they really love each other. But he leaves his father for uh, for the church, so to speak. He starts hanging out full-time with the missionaries. Meanwhile, the missionaries ask the locals if they can build a church in the town. The missionaries are offered a plot of land in what is called the Evil Forest, and the elders are surprised that the missionaries <laughs> gleefully accept the offer. Imagine that. You get, yeah, you can build it in the... Build it, but you have to do it in the evil forest. And they're like, oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. That's where we do our best stuff. Yeah, evil. We love that gear. We'll, yeah, we'll go get rid of it. Yeah, thank you. Some holy water. Yeah. The elders think that the evil forest will destroy the missionaries and they actually just sit back and wait for them all to die in the forest. But they don't. The- oh. I was I was thinking that maybe the evil forest might have been their name for like a, a lion's hangout or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we don't go there. That's the evil forest. Yeah. It's like above an active volcano. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we forgot to mention that. Oh, whoops, whoops. Yeah, that lava. We think of it as real evil. Yeah, the evil <laughs> lava. But you'll love it. You'll love it. Well, they don't die. The villagers are like, well, usually... You get a 28-day period before being punished for your sins. So surely the evil forest will take care of these guys soon. But 28 days come and go and the missionaries are still fine. When this happens, the church converts more people than ever because a lot of the villagers start thinking, ah, maybe these guys are on the the side of God because they're not being killed by the forest. Oh, dear. That makes sense. Yeah, it checks out. Okwonko not surprisingly, is not very happy with what's going on in the village. He urges the people of this adopted village in Banta to rise up against the Christians and kick them out with violence whilst they still can. But the elders decide instead to just ostracise anyone who converts to Christianity and just cut them out of their local society. Because between this, some people have been hedging their bets a little bit by sleeping in the village with their people during the day, at night, but then during the day, hanging out, going to some of the missionary events, that kind of stuff. But now they've just said, let's just cut them out. We'll be fine without them. Uh, When the man who killed uh, what is considered a holy python dies of an illness, the elders are satisfied that their gods will take care of the Christians in time. So one of the people from the village is converted and then it's rumoured that he's killed a sacred python, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all like, well, that's the worst sin imaginable. And then that guy either just happens to get sick and die or just dies, they think, oh, our gods are all-powerful. They'll punish everyone else like this soon. We don't have to worry about these white people anymore, basically. That also, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, right? I mean, you you see it happen in front of you. Like, all right, great. Retribution, there it is. Yeah, you believe what you see. (laughs) So this split society continues on, not living together, but also not being violent towards each other. They're a bit harmonious in uh, their separate beliefs. And there's a tolerance of sorts. Finally, Okonkwo's seven years of exile come to a close and he moves back to his hometown. But not before thanking his adopted town with a huge feasts. And when I say feasts, I mean feast. I don't know why I pluralized that. There's only one. It's it's amazing. (laughs) It's not multiple, but it's still, it is amazing. And as we spoke about in the first first half, the big food of, of, of course, is yams. In the, in the oh, village. Oh, yeah. Everything's yam-based. Remember, we, we were so lucky we had a yam expert on the line last time. Yeah, and I've actually oh, uh, God. I've reached into my piggy bank because it was oh, about yeah? $50, $50 per minute, and I've actually got 
her on the line right now. Would you mind if we quickly spoke to our local yam expert about about if you were organising a feast, how many yams and what you could make out of those yams? Do you think do you think that'd be all right? Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to hear. All right, yeah. I'll just. I'll, her uh, name's also Cass from memory. Yeah, I think it was. Hey! I'll patch her through now. Oh. Here she is. Hello, Cass, the yam expert. Hi, I'm Cass. Cass, I yam. Yam, yam, yam. <laughs> Are you looking to make a feast? Yes. Out of yam? Yes. Well, I've got some yes. wonderful yam tips for you. Did you know that yams are solid before you cook them? This means they can be carved into things like cutlery and bowls. You can eat yam from yam. Oh, wow. Edible cutlery. I'm loving this. It's yamtastic. Is that true? Yeah, legally, it's yamtastic. We have to... That, that Yes. <laughs> we have to call it yamtastic. <laughs> Please don't call my boss. <laughs> Please, $25 an hour goes to him. I I, I really, please. Oh, no, are we supporting a bad service here? No, it's, um, I'm I'm yambi dexterous. Um, (laughs) Is your boss a yam? Why, yes, I am. (laughs) No, go away, please, don't come in. I'm working. No, let me in. Well, this has got interesting. So a yam feast, uh, the main thing is you make cutlery out of yams. 100% yam. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Cass, from the uh, Yam Society. We really appreciate your input here. That was an expensive call, Dave. Can it was worth it? Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I've actually had Cass on hold for the whole conversation so far, $50 per minute. <laughs> <laughs> so well. I did mention the yam feast, just one, but it's big. Yep. A Just Congo- one big yam or one big feast? <laughs> Both. <laughs> the world's biggest yam. That's how grateful he is. He's, he's grateful that they gave him a home but feels deep sadness over his lost time spent in what he sees as this less masculine clan. Oh, right. Well, they let Christians himself. walk over them. Yeah, well, that's what he's thinking. And before he leaves at the... At the yam party, he expresses out loud his worries that Christianity is influencing the younger generation and weakening their local culture. And that is the end of part two. Hey, book cheaters, just Dave here, the book chook, dropping in to tell you that this week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Now, if you're not familiar, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. You got bestsellers in there. The celebrity stuff, memoirs, news, business, self-development, and heaps, heaps more. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection. And Audible have launched a couple of new initiatives to help us in these trying, trying times as we face the new normal, so to speak. One of those initiatives that I highly recommend is stories.audible.com. Lots of Children and students are away from school at the moment. So Audible have launched a special new website where anyone, anywhere can stream hundreds of Audible titles completely free. No strings attached for as long as the quarantine lasts. Their hope is stories.audible.com will offer everyone, including parents, educators and caregivers, a screen-free experience to look forward to each day. And you don't even have to be an Audible member to access these free stories. So go to stories.audible.com for that. I highly recommend that. Remember, you can listen to Audible in the car, on a run, on a walk, underwater if you've got those uh, crazy headphones that allow you to do that. 
And if you are looking for a recommendation this month, the most recent thing I've listened to on Audible is uh, the Booker Prize winning book, Amsterdam, by uh, Ian McEwan, won the Booker Prize in 1998. It uh, picked, picked my interest. This is a one-sentence summary. Amsterdam is the story of a euthanasia pact between two friends, a composer and a newspaper editor, whose relationship spins into disaster. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was read by a fantastic, or I should say narrated, because he really brought it to life. Adrian Scarborough was the English actor that uh, read that to me. These days I find it hard to read stuff outside of the things I'm covering on BookCheat, and Audible has got me covered. So if you'd like to become an Audible member and get your credit every month to pick a new title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, all you've got to do to get started is go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. That'll get you started with Audible and at the same time let them know that you came to them through the podcast, which really helps me out. One more time, just go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. All right, team, back to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, I can't wait to hear part three. He's back. He's going to get back to town. Well, this, yeah, this is part three. This is the final part. Is he bringing the boy? We're already up to part three. Yes, that's right. We're up to part three, but he's abandoned Nwoye. Nwoye's out of his life now. So is Nwoye still in the, the second town, his grandma's village? Well, he's gone to live with, with the missionaries. He's a full-time missionary himself now. So the missionaries don't live within the village. They sort of take people. They live in the evil forest. Yeah, no, oh, they are. Right. Uh, of course. Above the volcano. Yeah, yeah just above. <laughs> just uh, turn left at the uh, volcano. If you can smell sulfur, you are home. <laughs> <laughs> so Okonkwo hopes to make a big splash in town when he returns. He's been planning for this comeback for years, and he's even asked his daughters not to marry in the in the adopted town, hoping that when he, they return home, they'll turn a few heads when they arrive home in his village. Right. He uses can use them as pawns. Yes, and he didn't. He just wanted them to live closer to him than rather than live forever in this other village. Oh, so that's a nice reason, sort of. Yes, and also the part of hoping that people will notice when he comes back to town. But sadly, this doesn't really happen, and his village isn't as he remembered it. He is dismayed to find that the Christians have also infiltrated and converted many of his home village as well. So they didn't fight them off like he had expected and hoped, because the whole time he's sort of grinding his teeth at the adopted village, saying, my friends would never put up with this crap. They'd be rebelling, certainly, but now he's come home to find that that is absolutely not the case. That's heartbreaking. He spent seven years believing in something that just ended up being a fantasy. Absolutely. Mm. How would you feel? Sad, but, you know, how <laughs> yeah, would you I feel? Sad. <laughs> uh, the white man has also started to enact his system of laws on the village, even hanging an Igbo man as punishment for accidentally killing another man. So before the villagers, they had their own customs where if you accidentally kill another man, you're sent away for seven years, but you can come back. But the white man, they've got their own law and they've actually hanged someone for that exact same crime. Ugh. 
lot of accidental murder in the town. Well, two, but still, that's, it seems that like seems a lot. seems high, right? Hmm. Two in seven years. Well, I haven't mentioned the other 6,000 accidental murders Whoa. happened in this time period. I just didn't think Whoa, that was that's interesting. that's a bigger number than I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, Okonkwo talks to his trusted friend about the state of affairs and realises it's all too late. He says, quote, How do you think we can fight when our own brothers have turned against us? The white man is very clever. He came quietly and peacefully with his religion. We were amused by his foolishness and allowed him to stay. Now he has won our brothers and our clan can no longer act as one. He has put an eye on the things that held us together and we have fallen apart. End quote. Remember, the book is called Things Fall Apart. Mm. Right. So, yeah, they, um, they've let the, uh, the new ideology infiltrate their clan because they didn't rise up against it in Conquo's opinion. And now it actually is too late because they're too, frac- they're too fractured. He said it, like he said in the last town, he was right. They needed to nip it in the butt. Yeah, we've got, yeah. we got to get it early or otherwise it's going to destroy us. And he's worried that it actually is already starting to do so. Uh, the leader of the missionaries is a white man named Mr. Brown, who sounds very exciting with that name. Whilst ideologically opposed to the villagers' traditional beliefs, he's actually a kind person. He listens to the villagers and takes in their stories and beliefs. He frequently talks to the chief of the village and the two have peaceful debates and learn about each other's gods. They basically laugh at the other one saying, I can't believe you believe this stuff, but they're pretty mm. jovial about it. They're quite friendly. Mr. Brown builds a hospital and a school and convinces many locals to send their children to the school, telling them if they don't learn to read and write, they'll be left behind and there'll be outsiders that will continue to rule their lives forever. So that's actually an argument that he uses to win, win over people to the school. This argument, as well as the hospital's medicine being a success, wins over more people to Christianity. And for a time, they all live in harmony until Mr. Brown gets ill himself and he has to return back to England. So up until this point, he's been quite nice. Mm. Yeah, I didn't even wonder where they were from. So they're English people, English Christians. Yeah. When is this again? Uh, The late 19th century, just about to turn into the 20th. Right. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a. I find colonialism. I might be uh, pretty brave in saying this, but I find <laughs> colonialism pretty, pretty depressing. It's it's just horrible. I know I'm a product of it, but yeah. I am. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just sounds. It's such a bummer. It really. Is. Sorry to say, sorry to be so brave. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's going to ask me to edit that out later because uh, that's a pretty out there opinion, my friend. <laughs> so, Mr. Brown, the villagers have actually at least respected him because he was quite kind. But he's replaced by Reverend James Smith, who is much harsher and less tolerant than Mr. Brown. Where Brown was flexible and welcomed everyone, Reverend Smith demands obedience and is very, very strict. I love the non... like the the key Christian per- people in a story like this being so unchristian sounding. Like you think the Christian idea of... Like the main Christian thing is mm. treat ev- everyone the same. Yeah, kindness. Kind- yeah, and do the, yeah, others. It seems like it's so often uh, Christians can miss that point. Well, sure. So that's why I think Mr. Brown was definitely all about that kind of point. And uh, I think one thing that people praise about Achebe's writing is that rather than just showing all white people as evil, he's saying, showing that there's different... Um, different degrees of these people like some of them are actually very nice and friendly and others are very hardline and very 
<laughs> very strict. I love how bland he's named them, though. Mr. Smith and Mr. Brown. Mr. Smith and Brown. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's it's interesting that he made an effort to sort of be like, I you know, haven't done the readings, but from what you've described, it sounds like there are people who genuinely believe that they are trying to help someone, not that it's you know, in actuality, a good thing at all or the right thing or a kindness in any way, but that is what they believe they are doing, like Mr. Brown. And then there are just mean people. Yeah, yeah it does feel like it, it feels like the point. And, yeah. To be the missionaries, like, the surely if, if your belief isn't we're doing this to, I mean, obviously it's so misguided, but yeah, the yeah, idea yeah, yeah. is we know the real God, you've got the wrong one, we'll help you by telling you the real one. It's, it's such a wild idea. It's so, like, um, yeah, it just feels uh, so arrogant to be like, I know the real God. The one that I grew up with is the real one. Unfortunately, you grew up with the wrong one. Let me come and tell you about the real one. It's, yeah, anyway, yeah. different time. Well, yeah, well, and the two leaders, like the... Doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Well, the leader of the of the village and the old guy, Mister Brown, actually would have debates like that. <laughs> they tell you, "I can't believe you believe this stuff," but they were a lot more understanding than this new guy, Reverend uh, James Smith. He is he has no time for the the locals' customs, and some of the hardline converts to to the Christianity are happy to have a stricter leader. And one of these converts commits a deeply offensive crime against his old clan by unmasking one of them during a religious ceremony, which is seen as a huge slap in the face to the village. As a result, the town decides to burn down the church. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, right. So, so like, really Mr. bad. Mr. Smith came and things changed, the vibes changed. Yeah, that's right. It There's became a lot more combative. No more goodwill. And he had it wasn't even on the unmasking uh, episode of the Masked Singer, so that was what <laughs> they put a lot of work into it. Um, so yeah, I, I can see why they might have been upset. You ruined the whole series. I didn't see any of that. Was that good? You wouldn't. Neither of you would have seen. <laughs> no. <that. laughs> people. I think it's one of those shows that no one actually watches, but it's just like such a ridiculous idea that it exists that um, it, it, it managed... becomes zeitgeisty. Yeah, on concept alone, it forced its way into the into the current context yeah well actually i saw sarah palin doing a song maybe baby got back or something like that <laughs> oh, that? no that's not even the name i hope it was that's, that song that's not the name of the song it's uh what's yes, it, it called is. i like big butts or is that the no, that is the name of it yeah yeah atrocious uh, <laughs> oh god there are so many layers of awful to that <laughs> like with this uh whole colonialism thing am i right <laughs> yeah oh so i've converted you cass to my way of thinking the hardline weird opinions matt yeah what i'm doing is i'm just trying to convert a few followers to this idea that colonialism is bad it'll never take off or at least all right let's let me soften it it's not perfect Oof. <laughs> is that fair to say it could be better uh, no comment from me. I don't want to. Oh, uh, I don't no. want to be in the Cass, still too strong. Still too too strong for you, Cass. The wording. We don't want to be in the Daily Mail tomorrow, Matt. Stop trying to slander us with your crazy opinions. Well, they decided to burn the church down. 
It's heating up now. This book is sick, Dave, honestly. This is one of the coolest books I've never read. <laughs> I'm loving it. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. It's making me think. It's making me feel. You know, they're the big two for me. Yeah. It's making me talk. It's making me interrupt. Is that what think means? <laughs> yes, it's making me think. Oh, you're thinking all over <laughs> the place. Feeling thinking. That's, that's when you do all things at once. Think. Have a big think about it. Well, Okongo is happy because he feels like the village is finally revolting and he encourages his kinsmen to rise up against what he sees as their oppressors. But they choose not to take such drastic action. They burn down the church and they say, cool, that was retribution, we're even. They do, however, start to carry machetes with them just in case because they heard about what happened to that other town a few years back where they didn't have any machetes and the people came and just shot them all, so at least they're armed now. The district commissioner, a high-up white man, visits the village and requests a meeting with Okonkwo and some of the other town's leaders. The Igbo men take their machetes, but as soon as they're lulled into a false sense of security and put their machetes on the floor for what they think is a civil meeting, they are handcuffed and thrown into jail. The commissioner demands the town pay a large fine to pay for the church that they burnt down. In jail, the men are physically abused and insulted, but they all stay silent for days. The people of Umuofia, the villagers, are told of their leader's arrest, and if they don't pay the fine, they're told that the leaders will be hanged. Is a conquo in there? Yes, yeah, so he's in there. He's one of the one of the men. The town have a big meeting, and they decide to pay the fine, and the men are released. They walk back to town in complete silence, and when they get home, their fellow villagers are stunned into silence themselves by the tension that the men bring with them. Okonkwo's daughter brings him some food, and she sees the whip marks on his back. So they've been treated with horrible violence whilst they were locked away, and now they don't want to talk to anyone about it. The village call an emergency meeting for the next morning. Before the meeting, Okonkwo has already decided that whatever happens, he is going to fight for his village. He prepares his war clothes and his weapons, and he tells his friend, I shall fight alone if I choose. The meeting features men from all the nine villages, and the first speaker gives an impassioned speech about what the white men have done, and warns that blood may have to be spilled, but they have to act now. But during the speech, five Christian court messengers appear. Okonkwo stands firm and asks what they want. The head messenger says, quote, The white man whose power you know too well has ordered that this meeting stop, end quote. And I'm going to read uh, the next paragraph after that. In a flash, Okonkwo drew his machete. The messenger crouched to avoid the blow. It was useless. Okonkwo's machete descended twice and the man's head lay beside his uniform body. Okonkwo stood looking at the dead man. He knew that Umuofia wouldn't go to war. He knew because they had let the other messengers escape. They had broken in tumult instead of action. He discerned fright in that tumult. He heard voices asking, why did he do it? So he wiped his machete on the sand and went away. That is the second last chapter. So it's uh, really heated up there, as you were saying, Matt. So they didn't they didn't back him. No, so he lashed out. He's hoping that he'll start a bit of a revolution type thing, but then a lot of the people look at him and think he basically like, why do he do that? He's crazy. Wow. So things have changed in the ten, in the 7 years cuz he was always kind of like this, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Does the book 
uh, lean toward the idea that it's the town that's changed or that it's him? Or does it is it a bit of both? Like, does the book take a stance one way or the other? Or is it up to the reader? <laughs> what do you think, Dave? Well, I think that... No, I think that the town has itself changed. Okay. Yeah, totally. They've become fractured. They used to be like this one whole unit type thing where they'd have a big town meeting, they'd decide what to do, and then they would just go through with it. And then war, because they were seen as... Of the nine villages, they were seen as one of the toughest. They had great magic abilities, which is something that they really believed that would really protect yeah. them. And other people were afraid to go to war with them, but now they're all fractured and people basically see see violence and go, oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? And it's only been, you know, sort of 10, 10 years and it's all changed. Yeah, that's a short amount of time. Uh, the final chapter involves the head commissioner, who was the high up guy before that arrested them all, visiting Oconquo's residence with a team of armed men. He demands to see Oconquo, but is told he can't. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> he can he can uh, the commissioner is very you know what am I doing uh, the commissioner is very annoyed by this and ag- again he asks but is told we can take you where he is and perhaps your men will help the commissioner doesn't understand what this means but soon does because he is taken to see Okonkwo who is dead having hanged himself from a tree Oh. because suicide is seen as a sin in the village no one from the village is allowed to touch Okonkwo's body, so the commissioner's men are asked to cut him down and bury him. Obrika, who's one of Okonkwo's great friends, says to the commissioner, quote, That man was one of the greatest men in Umuofia. You drove him to kill himself, and now he will be buried like a dog. End quote. I'm going to read the final paragraph of the book because it's uh, well written and uh, really uh, sums it all up here. Take down the body, the commissioner ordered his chief messenger. The commissioner went away, taking three or four of the soldiers with him. In the many years in which he had toiled to bring civilization to different parts of Africa, he had learned a number of things. One of them was that a district commissioner must never attend to such undignified details as cutting a hanged man from the tree. Such attention would give the natives a poor opinion of him. In the book in which he planned to write, he would stress that point. As he walked back to the court, he thought about that book. Every day brought him some new material. The story of this man who had killed a messenger and hanged himself would make interesting reading. One could almost write a whole chapter on him. Perhaps not a whole chapter, but a reasonable paragraph at any rate. There was so much else to include. One must be firm in cutting out details. He had already chosen the title of the book, after much thought. The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of the Lower Niger. And that is the end of the story. That's how it finishes. Oh my what God. a piece of shit. I mean, obviously, that's what he's meant to be. Yeah. Oh, you know how I, I love this book, but it's all—it's a lot of the things that's made me feel are, are sad. Yeah. And I guess that's yes, that's it, good. Sorry that's about art, that. Man. Sorry about that. But uh, Jesus, that I don't know what I was thinking was going to happen. Uh, and yeah. they drove them out of town, and it's a different uh, history to what you know is now everyone's happy. Oh, yeah. Like, as soon as you mentioned, like, oh, they've spotted white people, it's like, oh, there's no good ending to this. Yes, I'm so sorry about that. I mean, at the end of last last week, I remember we were talking about it, and we, you two were both hoping for a, uh, you know, hoping for it, not predicting, but hoping for a happier ending for Okonkwo and his life. Mm-hmm. Sadly, I had already read to the end, so I knew that I wasn't going <laughs> to make you very happy. Sorry. Yeah. That's about as 
that's about as rough an ending that it could have been, I guess. Yeah. He just felt he he was forsaken by his his whole his whole people and had to go and quite like a thing that he would never have done, I imagine. You know, breaking a a big rule. Uh, yeah, like totally. That. He never would have done that. Ugh. Because I mean, remember his whole life was he was trying to bring honor to himself and to his village, and by killing himself, he's actually stripped himself of any right to any honor. Yeah. Now he's he's died completely in sin. He's not even getting a proper burial, and that's actually a very big part of their culture, seen as a a big mark of respect when you have a celebration. And now he's not going to get any of that. Oh, and it was boy. all because he was trying to protect his society. And when he stood up and, uh, you know, killed that man to protect the society, he looked around and realized that what he was trying to protect actually didn't even agree with him anymore. Yeah, I really thought that was where it was going. I thought it was going to be a big moment where he rallied rallied the whole town to back him. Yeah. I watched too much Hollywood. He He really... I think him being removed from a town allowed him to contain hope and not give in to the slow disintegration of an entire culture. But the thing, yeah, the thing he wanted didn't exist anymore. Like the culture he grew up in was eroded. It's a tragedy. Yeah, the commissioner plans to write a a book on Africa from a European perspective, but basically will strip all the nuance and the context of a conquest life that we've actually read about over the last few hundred pages and reduce him to just... He's like, a chapter? Oh, no, maybe not a whole chapter. Maybe a paragraph. Yeah, that'll be enough for this guy. Which is arguably a bit like the African characters in Heart of Darkness, which is the Joseph Conrad book that I um, had done on this show before. And then a lot of people suggested you should do Things Fall Apart because it's actually it's about Africa from, written by an African person. And Chinua Achebe, he really disliked Heart of Darkness and even wrote a, a, a famous essay about how it was actually very racist because we never hear from African characters. And it's a bit like that in, in the book because this European man's come in, seen a bit of stuff and gone, yeah, I'll write a book about this and not really give that guy's whole story any justice. Yeah, I think you're spot on. That is just the perfect summary of the entire situation. It's all, it's all a bit sad. I'm sorry we don't have a feel-good ending. I mean, a lot of classic literature does end in death or tragedy. Yeah. But um, sometimes it's more uplifting than that but having heard that i still think i liked it as a story i really enjoyed it but i usually get you guys to rate it out of five and before i give my score i wanted to ask you what you guys thought and what you would be scoring it well i i thought it was awesome i mean the fact that it's bummed me out hugely doesn't mean it's <laughs> it's not a great mm. book uh, yeah, sorry about that it's not like it's uh, yeah obviously um i think because it's bummed me out so much is probably part of the reason why it is so good but um, I'd yeah. Out of what do what do you rate them out of, Dave? How many chicken eggs? Book out of eggs? five. Out of five eggs. Five eggs. I give it. I really. I liked it a lot. Um, I'm gonna give it four and a half eggs. Can you split four an egg? Four and a half. You got to split an egg to make an omelet. I've always said that. You get so. four <laughs> eggs and a yolk. Keep the yeah. meringue. Make it. Make your, Keep it, Keep the white. Make yourself oh. meringue. Oh, yeah, the yolk's my favorite bit. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love a meringue. Everyone's a winner. Lemon meringue? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> right, Cass, how about how about you? Matt's giving it a four and a half out of five. What do you what do you reckon? I'm gonna give it five extra large eggs. I think it wow. is Wow. Five out of five. Yeah. Wow. Cluck cluck. I think it's a great story. 
um yeah i think it's i think it's really good i think it's important like the context of it being uh more i don't know entirely but a response to heart of darkness making i don't know it it has it's from your description of it that you've given it's not just a book about trying to re like trying to fix something it's also a like a really good story it's about people and I think that is where you will learn everything from is from history and from people and what's been done and focusing on feelings and what people were thinking and feeling at a time, because that is what drives anyone to do anything at any given time. And it's, you know, we hear a lot about history about people following rules and doing this and that, but they wouldn't do anything if they didn't feel something. So your description of the book is, yeah, it, it, it gives you, gives you thought. It makes you reflect on things that you've learned now, things that you learned growing up, things that you know about history and the things that you are realizing that you didn't actually know about history and that you've been taught. I think different perspectives like this are invaluable. There's not a way to emphasize how important they are. And I'm glad to know this story now. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I was glad to like it because, you know, I just know of uh, colonialism as Africa as, as a whole. It's often there's a lot of atrocities committed. And I know a few of the, the countries, you know, like the Belgian Congo, things like that. But then each individual country, like I couldn't have told you that Nigeria was basically conquered by English people. Mm. And there's, you know, 54 or something countries in Africa these days. And a lot of them were, you know, in, essentially divided up by these European powers. And they all have their own individual, individual story. So I was glad that yeah, I could, I could uh, at least understand one of them through this book. I gave it a four and a half out of five, which I I struggled with the first half of the book just because Okonkwo, like I, I disagree, you know, a lot of the things he was, he treated his son so badly, he beat his wives, things like that. And it was sort of hard to, to like. Mm. But then by the end of the novel, I found myself feeling very, very sorry for him. And I think, yeah, I think it was well written. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five, which means it's averaging very high, this one. Yeah. Very high. Possibly the highest I've done so far. Oh, wow. So, so there you go. Maybe it's one that all the listeners should pick up and get a copy of. But that does bring us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining me for the second half of Things Fall Apart. Now, Matt Stewart, we can hear you weekly on multiple podcasts, uh, one of which only has a few episodes to go. I'm talking of Primates, of course. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Primates uh, is a show about primates in popular culture. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a break after 100 episodes. So I'm up to 97. This week will be 98. And, um, yeah, then I'm going to give it a bit of a rest and move on to other things. I've started doing uh, a new thing. It's like just a brief sort of uh, Zoom interviews with people I'm putting up on my YouTube channel, oh, cool. uh, which is youtube.com slash Matt Stewart. And the first episode was with you, Dave. The second was there. one second one should have just gone up with Evan Munro-Smith. I, I was uh, hoping to ask Cass to do it, so hopefully that... Well, I won't put the pressure on her now. Yes, please. She, you know, she might be too polite to say no because we're recording. Oh, but, but this um, will be released. Now I have to do it. Oh, no. <laughs> you have so, to yeah, invite but, um, me on. Yeah, I'd love to have you on, Cass. Um, yeah, we should talk about that in a second. But, yeah, so that that's sort of what one of the things I've been doing uh, lately. But, yeah, Primates are still going out there too, which has been a lot of fun. Our show, Dave, do go on. I really recommend this week's episode. Uh, which I think I'm going to call it Stranger in the Woods or something like that. Oh, yeah, that's a good title. That's a good title. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the name of the book, so 
that makes sense? And it doesn't give anything away like other titles would. Maybe the stranger, yeah. the stranger of North Pond. Anyway, we can talk about <laughs> this later. Talk it short. Uh, and then I also do a podcast about music called Listen Now, which uh, the first season was about the Australian classic rock band Cold Chisel, and we're talking about starting a second season soon, which will be probably about a different band each week for a while. Um, so yeah, people should check that out if they want to. And why wouldn't they want to? There's exactly. No reason. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and Cass, uh, you can- uh, we can hear your voice weekly on many podcasts too. Yes, you can find me dotted all over the Sans Pants Radio network. You can go to sanspantsradio.com um, and it's all there. Um, uh, yeah, I mainly do a Dungeons and Dragons podcast called D&D is for Nerds. So if you're into that, get into that. Fantastic. It's a, it's well, a real I good will- place to hang out in the D&D. What, what's the world called again? Oh, not. Ognot. That's the one we play. Love hanging out in Ognot. <laughs> we now, Dave and I also live there, technically. <gasps> yes, you do. Have, yeah, that's we, right. We came to Ognot. We have characters who do. It's nice to imagine that they all hang out when we're not looking. Do go D&D, <laughs> which you can check out. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We did a, uh, a special uh, Patreon campaign with Adam Carnavale as Carnavale. our Dungeon Master. <laughs> and he was, he was very kind as he took... Uh, me, Matt, and Jess from do go on through our first ever uh, game. Do you call it a game? I keep calling it a game. Is campaign. that fancy? Yeah. Campaign. But can you say game? Just answer that because I said it so many times and every time I thought, I really hope I'm not annoying someone. Oh, I think when you've got the entire adventure, you call it a campaign, but it's a game you play with friends. If someone gets oh, annoyed. Yes, and I mean, because I mean that because it was so much fun. fun. It really, really was. Don't get annoyed at people. I was so nervous about being different. offensive to D&D people as well. So We're all just trying to have a good time. If you're having yes, fun, right. you're having fun. Awesome. Well, I'll link to all the stuff that we just talked about then in the description of this episode, as well as a place where you can suggest a book or a play or a bit of poetry, whatever you want me to do, you can um, click that link and tell me why I should do it, and then I'll give you a shout-out when we uh, eventually get to that classic. I'm committing to all of them. That's right. Yes. <laughs> the show will go forever. <laughs> Love it. But until next time, thank you so much for joining me, and I will say, as I do every week, books, books forever! forever. <laughs> 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 Hey, book cheaters and book chooks. Dave here at the end of the episode to thank you for listening, downloading, streaming, whatever you've done, just to get this in your ears. I really do appreciate that. I apologize that it was a bit of a sad one this week. Sometimes great literature, it's sad. And as I've remarked frequently, someone almost always dies at the end. I'm just here... uh, Sipping a Nippy's Ice Chocolate Milk, which if you're not from Australia, I'm afraid you are missing out. But uh, my favourite type of milk. And uh, it's the time of the episode where I thank people that support the show and make it possible by uh, supporting the show on Patreon. Book Cheat is uh, a spin-off of Do Go On, which is the podcast I do with Matt, who we just had on the show, as well as the fantastic Jess Perkins. And uh, yeah, we put out a show about history every single week and then Matt does Primates and uh, Listen Now and then I do this book cheat show. And to support that little network of shows, you can go to patreon.com slash dogoonpod. And for book cheat listeners, you get to tell me your favorite book and I will read it out and thank you by name. 
And I'm going to do six of those now. So thank you to these people for signing up to support the show on Patreon. I also announced the books in advance. Some people love to read ahead or read along. Make sure they get a copy by the time the episode comes out. So that's another little reward type thing. We also put out bonus episodes of Do Go On. We're putting out three episodes a month now. Starting this month, May 2020, we are launching our Patreon-only series, Phrasing the Bar, where we go through the films one by one in order, chronologically, if you will, of Brendan Fraser. Fantastic. The Mummy. Encino Man, possibly called California Man overseas. Airheads, Dudley Do-Right. Bedazzled. The list goes on. Those episodes of Scrubs he was fantastic on. Hopefully we will get to all of those. And uh, that's just one of the many rewards on the Patreon. And these are the people that uh, I'm going to shout out to and their favourite books. First of all, Patrick Ward. Wow. Appreciate support, Wardy. My favourite book he's written is Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I like the way it is the series starting to get a little bit darker and more adult with the return of Voldemort, but I also enjoy all the extra stuff that goes on in and around Hogwarts. Fantastic. There you go. A lot of people tell me their favourite is Harry Potter, obviously very influential. I've probably said it before. Number three, Azkaban. That was my favourite when I was reading them growing up. But Goblet of Fire, fantastic. Patrick Ward. Catherine Barn is the next name, which is uh, Catherine with a Z. Instead of the Y there. So I apologize, Catherine, if I'm saying this wrong. Barn. Favorite book? Changes a lot, Catherine writes. But uh, at the moment, Chains of Sand by Jenna Wayne. There it is. Your favorite book. I appreciate your support. Chains of Sand. I'm looking it up now. Published in 2016. The new novel from the award winning author of After Before. Long listed for the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction. There you go. Lots of other prizes too, actually. Looks like it. All right, fantastic. Got a rating of four on Goodreads, which is actually very high. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, Zach Dobrin, my favorite book is Watchmen. I recommend it, Dave. Read it, you coward. He's written in capital letters. Hey, I don't respond well to that kind of stuff. Actually, I do. I um, love being told what to do. So thank you so much, Zach. I will uh, be reading that very soon. Give you my full report. Thank you very much. Uh, Clara Louise has written in to say, My favourite book is The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Because of the setting, the numerous subplots and side characters, and because, despite the fact that it is mostly an extremely satisfying revenge fantasy, okay, I'm listening, it is ultimately it ultimately ends with a message of forgiveness and looking towards the future instead of the past. Is that a spoiler alert? Probably not. Thank you so much for... Yes, spoiler alert from a book that's a couple hundred years old, so thank you so much. Just looking it up now, the page count, I, I, I've i looked into it before because it is frequently requested, but it is, I think, very, very, very long. 1844, Count of Monte Cristo. It's actually got a 4.2 on Goodreads. Wow, there you go. Page count, 928 pages. Wow. There you go. Clara, I hope to get to it one day. I really do. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, Sean Mulgan, or Mulgan, has said, uh, Book cheat, Dave should do The Stranger by Camus. Short and controversial. Love you guys. Uh, thank you, Sean. I think that's a lot shorter than The Count of Monte Cristo, so maybe there's more chance of me doing it on the show. Just because... 
I don't mind a longer book, but when I've got the deadline of every couple of weeks of putting it out and also the writing about it, that's actually one that probably takes the longest. Oh, I don't know. No, it probably doesn't take as long, but it's something that I usually do in one go or over a couple of days. But the, the reading, I you know do, do a bit here, do a bit before bed. So it doesn't seem like as a as big a task as the summary part is. <laughs> yeah, 900 pages. And if there's so many subplots you're talking about, Clara, before, but... Still, I'd love to get to it. But maybe Camus, I'll get to that. Stranger. Thanks, Sean. And finally, I'd like to thank uh, Andrew McLeod. McLeod. My favourite book is Sabriel by Garth Nix. It's a children's book, but I didn't read it until I was in my early 20s. But the world building and character development are great. There you go. I actually don't know this one, Andrew. Look it up. You got a 4.2 on Goodreads. Also very, very high. Fantasy novel published in 1995. First in the Old Kingdom series, followed by Lyriel, Abhorson, and Golden Hand. There you go, Garth Nix. Wasn't familiar. He's Australian. There you go. This is the one of the top lines from his Wikipedia. He has frequently been asked if his name is a pseudonym, to which he responded, I guess people ask me because it sounds like the perfect name for a writer of fantasy. However, it is my real name. <laughs> Garth Nix. There you go. Well, that is the end of uh, the episode. Thank you so much to Patrick, Catherine, Zach, Clara, Sean, Andrew, and of course, Garth Nix, if that is your real name, for supporting the show. Uh, if you want to join that fantastic list of people, you can go to patreon.com slash do go on pod. Uh, but that, that's it for another week. Thank you so much. Uh, again, suggest a to- uh, topic for a book by clicking the link in the description if you want to if you want to do so. But until next week, I'll say thank you so much for listening and books forever! Bye! This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.